77 WABC. Welcome back, Religion on the Line. I'm Rabbi Joseph Tastin. I'm Deacon Kevin McCormick. You know, there's one rabbi in all of New Jersey. All lanes are always open for him. Closed for others, but always open for him. You know who that is? Yeah, that has to be Rabbi David Sirth Kirshner, the yeah, senior David. rabbi of Temple Emmanuel of Kloster, New Jersey. All right, Rabbi David Sirth Kirshner, good morning to you. Good morning, Deacon. Good morning, Rabbi. How is everyone? All the better for your asking. Thank you so much. Well, um, you know... Remember when we were in school, we always looked forward to no school with holidays? Then when you're yes. clergy, you look forward to, let's go back to school already. I mean, we have one holiday uh, after the other. And my kids have been home from school incessantly because they go to a Jewish school, and I feel like I'm paying a lot of money for them to be at home. And I've been they able to park on the street every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll move the car. So I, I remember when I went it's to It's a win-win-win. So when I went to Yeshiva, we would have vacation from Rosh Hashanah, through the end of Sukkot, and wouldn't come back, you know, for that entire it was like three period. weeks, right? Yeah, it's great. It was great as a student, yep. but then as you become, you know, a non-student, a professional, you say, "Wow." Uh, yeah. Once you're a parent, I don't know if it's appreciated the yeah. same way. Let's talk about this Sukkot because obviously it doesn't get the attention of Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, but it's a visible kind of holiday where you see this fragile hut. And you and I were having a discussion earlier in the week, and I said, "What makes it special to me as I look at it." And it's this imperfect structure. It looks like it's a little lopsided. It looks like it's going to fall. You know, you look at the etrog. It's got bumps on it. You know, it, it, again, if perfection is going to be the standard, none of us will ever make it. Um, and we have to be able to live as imperfect human beings and try to make the world a little bit better. It's true. Uh, I think that... Um we often strive for levels of perfection. I know it's one of my uh, my challenges in life, and being uh, a yekka like Jew who uh, always tries to be exact. Uh, um, but um, it reminds us that we need to accept imperfections in life as well. You know, we have kids. How many times do we find parents holding our kids to standards that are so unrealistic uh, that, of course, we want them to do well and to be better? But there comes a moment we have to extol them for their accomplishments and not say, you know, you got a 98, well, why didn't you get the other two points? And I see parents who do that, oh, and, destroy, like that all the time. and destroy some of that self-worth of the kid. Yeah, it's, it's, a really, um, it's a really hard thing. You know, what's interesting, if you think about the liturgy that coincides for this holiday of Sukkot, that when we, there are three pilgrimage festivals. There's Sukkot, Passover, and Shavuot. So on Passover, when we say the Kiddush or we say the Musaf prayer, we say, this is the time of our release from bondage, our freedom. And on Shavuot, we say, this is the time where we received our Torah, where we became bound to a law and a part of a people. But on Sukkot, it says, this is the time of our happiness and our rejoicing. It's not a time of harvest and not a time of reflection, not a time uh, post-Rosh Hashanah, it's a time to be happy. And uh, I think Jews as a whole sometimes get a little pessimistic. Um, we, we look for negativity. Uh, I told this story yesterday, and I'm sure some of your listeners have heard it before, that a, a um, German, a Frenchman, and a Jew are wandering in the desert. And the German says, I'm so thirsty, I must have a beer. 
And the Frenchman says, I am so thirsty, I must have a glass of wine. And the Jew says, I am so thirsty, I must have diabetes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the, the idea there is that we, we are a worrisome lot, and we are always fearful and pessimistic. But on this holiday, we are commanded to be happy, to be rejoiceful, to see our sukkah, if you were, as half full. Um, and... Um, I think that's a responsibility that gets us away from focusing on the broken pieces and more on the perfection. And interestingly, we read in the Torah portion yesterday about the the tablets that were broken. And um, it reminds us that there are broken and imperfect pieces in the world, but they're still a part of our canon and who we are. It's interesting because people always are searching for happiness. And what do we do? We travel to faraway places, you know, take all kinds of escapes. And Sukkot says, if you just leave your secure surroundings, leave your house, and go into this temporary structure and celebrate with one another, with family and friends, bring people into the sukkah, there's always room for one more in the sukkah, that's happiness. That happiness is found in being with other people. You can't be a happy recluse. No. Uh, right, correct. Right. Right? right? Correct. Um, we, we had a sermon seminar a few weeks ago with the, the great... Rabbi Harold Kushner, who's a rabbi's rabbi. I mean, he, he's an old-school preacher who just has pearls that always um, come out from his mouth. If I may, Rabbi, he he's, a, he's, a, he's a believer's believer. I mean, he, he's been so important in my development as a, as a, as a Christian. Uh, he's just a and as a gift. theologian, I imagine, as well, mm-hmm. right, to maintain that level of faith. So he, he has this, this great um, explanation. He says, whenever I'm preaching and I say something very serious or very solemn, all eyes are usually on me. But when I say something with levity or a joke from the Bhima, I notice that people turn to each other when they laugh and smile. Mm-hmm. They look to their neighbor, to their spouse, to their friend. And he says, laughter creates community. Smiling creates community. And I was touched. I read this story uh, in the newspaper. I think I read it last night, maybe a few days earlier, about this young girl who was the subject of cyberbullying. She lives in Canada, and someone said something nasty on her Facebook page about her looks or her composition, uh, some, some horrible thing that kids do through the uh, protection of social media these days. So to retaliate, what she decided to do is she went to the drugstore, she bought a large stack of post-it notes, the sticky kind, and she wrote positive notes for every single kid in the school. You look great. Mm-hmm. I love your smile. Good luck on the math test. Those are awesome shoes. And she placed on every kid's locker. And for a couple of kids, she put them on their books. You're going you're gonna to ace this test today. I know you work so hard. She combated that negativity with happiness and goodness. And sometimes I think the antidote for the brokenness and the imperfection is just happiness, just smiling, just pushing back with, with finding the positive. And for me, that's why I find so much resonance in the verses, Man Simchatenu, the verses of this is a time of our rejoicing and our happiness. And I'm inspired by stories like that that tell us what it is to bring that goodness to the world. I remember years ago listening to uh, another great teacher, preacher, Rabbi Boruch Silverstein, and he talked about his being on the Lower East Side, looking for an etrog. You know, you pick it out because it has to be something that has meaning to you. So what, you know, t- to show that it really is precious to you, you go get it. Don't just order it online. What is an etrog? This is the citron-like ob- okay, ritual object we use. It symbolizes the heart. Mm-hmm. And he said he saw someone with a magnifying glass looking at this etrog to see if there are any imperfections. And he went over to the person and he said, you know, I'd have respect for your fastidiousness. However, you're not obligated to use a magnifying glass. As a matter of fact, 
It's got to be beautiful to the human eye. Mm-hmm. Because if we hold magnifying glasses up to everybody, we're going to find flaws easily. But we shouldn't look for the flaws immediately. I look at this. You mentioned this young person. Look at Malala, the recipient of uh, the Nobel Prize. All she had to share with somebody else. But still, shot in the face and yet is able to talk to young people about the importance of education would not be deterred from that message of being the best you can be. What an inspiration she is, how she somehow embodies that idea that you talk about, Rabbi, in Sukkot. That's right. You know, you talk, that's a beautiful story about the, the magnifying glass with the Etrog. So I read this year that the Rabbanut, the Rabbinate of Israel, dealing with uh, Jews who are fastidious in their observance, but at the same time um, committed uh, to trying to make ends meet, that the Rabbanut in Israel allowed people who were impoverished to use a lemon if they couldn't afford an etrog. And a lemon is obviously um, much simpler, much less expensive. Etrogs, while they do grow on trees, there are not many of them. And it's also a sabbatical year. It's a Shemitah year in Israel, which makes it a little bit more challenging to get an etrog. To me, what was so beautiful about that is that it reminds us that even the rabbis understood, even today, that what matters is the intentionality of the law and the spirit of the law more than the letter of the law. So what if our etrog has an imperfection? I, I had a gentleman who came to me so excited that he had built his first sukkah for his house and his kids. He was so excited, and his excitement was infectious. He said, but someone told me I made a mistake because I stapled the schach to the top of the sukkah, and you're not supposed to use staples. I was afraid it was going to blow away. And I looked at him, and I'll call him Michael. I said, Michael, let me ask you, did you build a sukkah for the purpose of the holiday? And he said, yes, I did, Rabbi. I said, did you build it so your family could sit in it and, and dwell and enjoy the holiday and make kiddush in there and, and have your, your meals? He goes, yeah. I said, did you build it so you can shake the lulav and the etrog in there? He said, yeah. I said, do you think God's mad because you stapled the schach? Hmm. Meaning... If, if your intention is to do this to honor God and honor our people and honor our tradition, I don't think we need to be so focused on all the little pieces that we get wrong and focus on all the pieces we get right. We're speaking with Rabbi David Seth Kirshner, who is the senior rabbi of Temple Emanuel at um, uh, Coster, New Jersey, and he's also the president of the New York Board of Rabbis. Um, both rabbis, I, I, I find this conversation so refreshing. And from, from a Christian point of view, in our most holy of holy days, which would be the uh, uh, Easter Vigil on, on Holy Saturday, preparing, uh, creating the the, you know, the entrance of the holiest the Easter, um, we have a line about oh 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 happy oh great fall oh happy sin of I, I may have reversed them but happy sin of Adam that it's it's through our brokenness that that God comes through. Leonard Cohen uh, has a great line from uh, one of his songs. He says, you know, forget your perfect offering. There's a crack, a, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And I think it's in our brokenness and, and our incompleteness and in our sloppiness that actually God dwells and, and thrives and, and, and relishes being with us. I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I couldn't I think agree the, more. The, you know the story of the, uh, someone applied for a position and on his application he said, in all the years I've been working, I never made a mistake. And the, <laughs> and the employer, the you just potential employer said to him, you know, sir, I have 3,000 employees. Each day they make about 3,000 mistakes. I can't give you the job because you wouldn't fit yeah. in. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's just amazing yeah. to me how we, you know, it's one thing to strive to be perfect, but at some point there's going to be recognition that we're just not going to be there. Because the word perfect means finished, and no one's ever complete. No one's ever finished. That's our journey. Right? We're, we're never there. Even coming off the heels of, of 
the time where we're supposed to repent and change our ways, it is a journey. There is no finish line. I have a couple that I um, I spend some time with talking or working through the normal turbulence that couples have in marriage. And one of the couples in this relationship believes that life should just be happy every day, occasionally a bad mood, occasionally something comes that you don't expect it, but life should be good and happy every day. And the other person says, even if we conquer whatever issues we're dealing with today in the month of October, there'll be a different issue in December and a different issue in February, a different issue in in May and June. And some will be harder and some will be easier, but each of those are skills that help us grow in our marriage and that people who are married five years or 55 years work on this, that the journey has never ended. You'll never reach that that level of completion and perfection. You'll learn to perfect the dance, but you'll still step on each other's toes at times. And I think there's beauty and correction to that. As long as you don't break the toes, it's kind of cool. (laughs) Well, you know, the... uh Look at look at Moses, right? You never get into the promised land, but you at least have a vision of it. Get close to it, but you never step into it. Because if you have a person right. who has aspiration, you're always looking to you know to strive a little bit higher. I got to tell you, Deacon, listening to Rabbi Kirshen, you can understand why his congregation uh, loves him. He is a beloved figure there, uh, and you know we talked about the Pope earlier and how he relates to every day. You go to Temple Emmanuel, and you listen to the rabbi preach. And he's talking to you. He's not talking above you. He's not talking to, you know, to someone else. He's talking to you. And I think this is what we need to do more in our communities and our congregations. Talk directly to people. You know, we in the clergy, you know, we have our perspective, but that doesn't make us superior. No. Right? And I think for too long we preached at people and not uh, spoke with people. Uh, so, Rabbi, you're doing it well. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you. You know, we have this Tuesday, what's called a Sook in the sky, even though now it's on the ground. It used to be on top of the Grace mm-hmm. Building. But we gather people, different faith communities. I've been there on occasion. Yeah. It's uh, wonderful. It's amazing how we all come together. And it's going to be at the Fifth Avenue Synagogue, which, as you know, is not <laughs> on Fifth Avenue. Uh, but we all come together and spend that quality time appreciating each other, people with whom we share relationships over the years. and um, It's just a, it, it is a special time of year. It's a little wearing uh, after all the holy days of Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. But it's a nice time. It's a relaxed period of just sitting in a sukkah. Happiness is found in a sukkah. You're allowed to be happy. That's the way the Lord wants it. Now, if we can convince some of our, you know, some of our people to be happy. Rabbi, any concluding thoughts? uh, I just want to, the concluding thought is I'm looking forward to the finish line of these holidays. Um, (laughs) You know, for the congregants, they're fun and they're a little taxing. For clergy people, they are exhausting. And ironically, it seems to be more refreshing and more exhausting at the same time each year. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And I'm just I'm hopeful that all of the personal and communal aspirations that I prayed for and that we all prayed for individually and collectively during the course of this holiday season, that I'm able and we're all able to stay focused on achieving them. Because I don't want to put them solely in God's hands. I don't want to say, this is what I want. Now you give it to me, God. I have to be a partner in making that happen. And very easily, we can get into the rough and tumble of the world in a minute and forget about all those dreams and aspirations. So my prayer for all of us is that we focus hard on what it was we prayed for and how it is that we're going to achieve it, and that we all find the courage and the strength and the sweat to make those things happen because I think the dividend will be really special and meaningful. Mm. All right. That's we, beautiful. Yeah, and we can't get that without holding on to one another. Got to do it together. Do it alone. Rabbi, 
So what do I say here? Have, you, I don't have, do you have a sweet sukkah? What yeah, is, is uh, it? Happy Chag Sameh. <laughs> you know, oh my God. Sorry. All over my shirt. Sorry. <laughs> Rabbi Kirsch, <laughs> thank you so much. Tip your wages as we're here all week. <laughs> try the, I'm gonna try see, the chicken. I'm going <laughs> to see you on Tuesday. Look forward to it. Look forward to it. Deacon, thank you so much. Rabbi, thank you so much. Chag Sameh. Thank, thank you, Rabbi. Right back at you.